electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. On this episode, you'll hear from a founder and CEO whose companies aim to make an impact on the environment. Tom Zaki founded the recycling company TerraCycle in 2001 while he was a student at Princeton. His goal? To collect and repurpose waste. Twenty years later, Zaki is the CEO of two companies, TerraCycle and Loop, a company that provides reusable containers for consumer goods, partnering with retailers including Kroger and Walgreens. He joined us at CNBC's Evolve Livestream event on May 18, 2021, and spoke to my colleague Leslie Picker about the economics of recycling, the logistical challenges of reducing waste, and his company's ambitious attempt to make recycling more convenient for consumers. Here's their conversation. I just want to kick things off with this whole concept of sustainability and recycling in and of itself, because there was a John Oliver episode a few weeks ago, which said that basically recycling plastic, 90% of it actually goes into the garbage anyway. There was an NPR podcast, which said that You know, recycling is no longer in demand from places like China, where we used to export our our recycled goods to. And so is is that incorrect? This this fear that our recycled goods actually just wind up in landfills anyway. No, I think it's uh, both those examples that you mentioned are absolutely rooted in facts. And uh, I think the important thing to take a step on it, and, and this is very empowering, is what makes something actually be recycled in a country? And it doesn't have to do with what we normally think, which is, can that object be recycled? Instead, it has to do with, can a garbage company, the actual company who's in charge of doing the recycling in that geography, can they recycle that object at a profit? And what's happening is the profitability is decreasing. Oil prices have gone down starting in 2015 and maintained. You mentioned, for example, China stopped importing waste, followed by other countries in 2018. All these things are hurting the business construct uh, for recycling companies. And that means that our recycling capabilities are deteriorating. Uh, On the flip side, though, consumers are caring more, companies are leaning in. So there's this gap that's forming between what people would like to see happen uh, and what is happening behind the scenes. So how does that work then? So if companies are taking more of a role in changing the economics of recycling, then does it matter that the business model itself is no longer as profitable as it once was? Or do you kind of need both things to operate in tandem? Well, I think they are both critically important. You know, the business model of recycling is sort of like the health of the infrastructure. Is it, and how much is it desiring to collect those material types? Now, what businesses can do to help that, but you have to honor that uh, as the most important dependency is first, create products that when they end up in our waste stream are what recyclers want versus don't want. So goods that are easier to recycle, create higher value outputs and so on. 
Uh, in addition, companies uh, can uh, fund programs on their own. It's what our entire TerraCycle business is based on is companies voluntarily funding whatever it costs to collect and process a waste stream versus uh, the residual value. And then there's also the ability for companies to get together and form consortiums like the U.S. Plastic Pact uh, 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 and even potentially lobby for legislation that helps effectively rise the tide on all boats. But all of these come down to injecting capital into the infrastructure because recycling is not out there trying to do you know uh, the best it can. It's trying to maximize profit. And we have to really think about that as we uh, aim towards a more circular economy, which is quite important. So let's talk about this idea of maximizing profit and, you know, the the love-hate relationship that goal has with doing good for the world. Um, you know, when you think about companies that are looking to, um, you know, decrease their uh, footprint when it comes to creating products that can't be recycled, is it possible to do it in a way that also maximizes profit or is it something that helps the top line because it's what consumers are asking for? Um, I'm sure it's a little bit of both, but also, you know, is that true across the board? It's, it's an excellent question. And if you look at the macroeconomic uh, uh, challenges, you know, what are we doing? We're trying to reduce cost in products and packages. And as we reduce costs, we are objectively reducing value, which also makes them less recyclable. So the biggest mega trend in global packaging today is lightweighting. And when you lightweight a package, you make it physically have less material and typically more complexity, which means they become progressively less recyclable or less profitable to recycle. Now, What's really important is companies decide to lean in on this and think about how to, how can they do something like creating their own recycling programs, whether it's a retailer or a brand. Um, if you just frame this uh, in let's do it because it's the right thing to do, typically the funding level that will be attained is going to be small and sporadic because there is no PNL logic uh, to do it. But if it can be framed in, if you're a retailer running a recycling program to help drive foot traffic, uh, like Staples does with us in, with pens in Canada or uh, a Walmart with car seats in the United States, that gets consumers in the store and that can be very monetizable. Or if brands run uh, their own uh, recycling programs, you know, funding the cost of what it costs to collect and process this material, they may be able to drive market share. They may be able to drive brand preference. And the more that one can tease out ways that these sustainability endeavors become monetizable in a recognizable way, the bigger they become and the faster they can grow. And I think that's actually for a truth for more than just recycling, but any sustainability endeavor that you're looking to implement in the short term. Okay. So your business, this is the whole business model is helping companies think creatively about how they can uh, be more sustainable and help contribute to uh, you know, the environment in, in a positive way. Um, Let's break that down a little bit and start maybe with what you're doing at TerraCycle, um, looking at whether or not objects are recyclable um, and making it more convenient for consumers to do. Absolutely. So in, in our TerraCycle division, we first do exactly what you described. So we look at waste streams that are today not locally recyclable. And the backdrop there is what makes, say, a dirty diaper or a cigarette butt or a, even toothbrush not locally recyclable is not that it can't be, but it costs more to collect and process than the results are worth. So what we do is we work with, say, a manufacturer or a retailer or some stakeholder that cares about that waste stream more than another. They fund the actual cost of collecting and processing that waste stream minus whatever we can sell the results for. And then to make that work and scale, what we really focus hard is how does that help them drive their core business? How does, say, pen recycling help a retailer uh, get more foot traffic? How does it help drive market share? How does it help drive things that can be very monetizable? And 
When that happens, magic can occur. You know, we uh, recently launched diaper recycling, for example, with Pampers in uh, Holland. And because it showed exactly that, that's now expanding to many countries around the world. And on the surface, you know, diaper recycling doesn't make economic sense. It's expensive to collect them and expensive to process worth versus what the results are worth. But if that can help drive core business value, maybe it's better to invest in diaper recycling than TV commercials. That's interesting. So the idea that there are enough consumers out there that would appreciate the ability to recycle their diapers um, versus get the idea of buying diapers on TV, that calculation is, you think, part of the same marketing budget. It's the same uh, backdrop, yes. And I think, you know, people want to do the right thing. We also acknowledge we're in an environmental crisis right now. So stakeholders and companies want to be able to use the great power of corporations to be able to do the right thing versus something perhaps benign like just general marketing. And But they need to see that it's not just an investment in doing the right thing, but it's also going to pay back. And we've seen that uh, uh, work over and over and over again in, in many different industries from B2B to B2C. It absolutely uh, uh, does play out. And it's also showing up in consumer sentiment. You know, consumers really are caring more and more about the environment than ever before. Uh, COVID, in fact, accentuated that because we are consuming 30 to 50 percent more disposable goods during COVID. We're recycling less. So people are seeing the issue and they're uh, benefiting companies that are leaning in on this. And uh, while our macro waste management systems are suffering economically, there are ways to solve this that don't rely on just government intervention or other systems doing it. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Are there enough opportunities to recycle to make a difference? Um, meaning, are there enough use cases for all of the waste that we consume uh, to, to really make a dent here? Um, and is it a matter of the will to actually do this um, or is it science? Uh, is it possible to just get rid of all this waste? I think if you looked at what are the bottlenecks to recycling scaling, the biggest bottleneck by far is business model, right? Most of the things that we uh, put in our blue bin that are not recycled or we put on our trash can directly are just things that garbage companies can't make money on. So TerraCycle is an example of a way to solve for that, but there needs to be way more uh, business models that enable it. That's the true bottleneck. Once that is enabled, then we have to worry about consumers caring. Like even in the United States where, say, soda bottle recycling is at scale, the business model works, we still only recycle one in four bottles. And a big part of that is consumer apathy. Now, that is uh, something that we can really work on through education and excitement and then to keep that moving. Because if you think about the individual's journey towards sustainability, it always begins with recycling. And once you have that, then you may move to a plant-based diet instead of animal protein, or you may live a smaller uh, life, or you may bike to work or other things that will create even uh, more important uh, uh, outcomes. But we first have to solve the business model. That is the dependency. And then we can really focus on uh, scaling. Now, the white elephant in the room is 
This is not the answer to garbage. The fundamental answer is modulating our consumption downward. But that's very difficult for business to champion because that is fundamentally degrowth. Yeah, that was um, something that I think the John Oliver episode hit on with regard to plastic bottles, that it is in nobody's best interest to tell people to stop consuming. It's not it's in it's not in Pepsi or, or Coca-Cola's best interest to tell consumers to stop drinking Pepsi. It's in their best interest to tell them just to recycle their bottles, um, which obviously depends on the convenience for the individual consumer to do so. Um, you know, when we chatted last week, you mentioned a really interesting recycling idea. And honestly, I had no idea that this even existed, but um, using, uh, I guess, recyclables that are at very, very high altitudes to make watches. Yes, absolutely. So our second division at TerraCycle focuses not on how do we collect and recycle waste, but how do we help companies make their products from waste? And there's an issue today. There's a lot of companies wanting to use recycled content, but everyone uses the same material. If it's something like PET, the plastic that makes up a soda bottle, everyone's using uh, municipally sourced soda bottles to make, whether it's a carpet or a t-shirt or a backpack. And that leaves our aquatic systems, our, our natural environments, our inner cities polluted. And so here what we do is deploy the power of story, whether it's making, say, ocean plastic bottles with Procter & Gamble and Unilever, all the way to a project we just recently kicked off where we're working with a luxury Swiss watch company to clean up the top of Mount Everest, which actually is also a landfill with abandoned oxygen tanks and heating elements, and using the power of that story to enable uh, uh, such a cleanup, which isn't cheap to do. But, you know, perhaps when you're shopping for a watch, you may prefer the steel from the top of Everest than a gold band. And maybe that story creates the uh, the luxury that then enables for the cleanups to occur. <laughs> I, You know, for people like me who will most likely never climb Mount Everest, it would be a very cool story to tell friends uh, that the watch comes from, you know, one of the tallest places on earth. Um, so that is that is obviously a very creative way to, to do things. Um, the third part of, of your business uh, involves Loop, which is all about reuse um, and coming up with new ways to, um, you know, ensure that there is less garbage um, from the consumer. How does that relate to what you're doing with regard to recycling uh, and what you're doing with regard to changing the input in, in various consumer products. Absolutely. So I think recycling, I say this as a recycling company, is not the answer to garbage. It's an answer to the symptom of garbage, right? Maybe the best way to manage waste. But I think we have to go much deeper and uh, enable an economy where garbage doesn't exist, which, mind you, was the case until the 1950s. You know, and uh, before the 50s, we... Uh, uh, received our milk from the milkman. We cobbled our shoes. We mended our clothes. We lived a very different uh, life in relationship with durability and reusability. Now, reuse does exist at scale today. You know, in the United States, our beer kegs are highly reusable, as are our propane tanks. But you can't take the propane tank to the beer store when it's empty, and vice versa, you can't do the beer keg to the place you got your propane tank. And so Loop is a platform for reuse where consumer product companies can join and create beautiful reusable versions of their products. Uh, not only are Nestle and uh, P&G now investors, but 150 major consumer product companies have joined. And then retailers, you know, like Kroger, Walgreens, and 15 others around the world, make them available to their consumers, trying to create an ecosystem where you can buy anywhere and return anywhere. You know, later this year, you'll be able to buy your um, favorite shampoo bottle at uh, uh, Walgreens in New York uh, in reusable packaging and then drop it off at a Burger King, where you can then buy, hopefully, your Impossible Whopper and soda in reusable packaging and drop it off somewhere else. So creating a framework that makes reusability as convenient, ideally, as disposability. 
Now, convenience is key here um, and, and remembering because people are busy and people have got places to be. And, and so how, how are you um, or what are you hearing from consumers with regard to their appetite to, to do all of this? Um, you know, recycling is one thing. We, I think you and I were both children of the 80s, and that was just all over the place. You learn in school, you're supposed to recycle. There were the recycling bins outside of everybody's house. It was just kind of part of the culture back then. Um, but this kind of takes you to a new level. Um, you know, obviously no one wants to harm the environment with their behavior, but how much are people willing to actually mm. spend the time, do the research, figure out where to go, um, and, and take that extra step? Yeah, it's a very fair question. And I think first, consumer behavior change is incredibly difficult. And a lot of sustainability uh, uh, relies on fundamental consumer behavior change. And I think that's what we want to actually avoid versus relying on it. So we believe the number one goal is convenience uh, in these platforms and meet the convenience of throwing something away. Then to give consumers amazing features and benefits, uh, which reusable packaging does. It, it, it objectively upgrades the package versus disposable alternatives. And then to give all that, the convenience and those features, at the right value. And with all three of those things coming together, you can switch consumers who may not even care about sustainability. And that's frankly the most important because we got to bring everyone along, not just people who uh, view this as a high passion topic. That was Tom Zaki, CEO of Loop and TerraCycle. He joined Leslie Picker at CNBC's Evolve Livestream on May 18th, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For more information on upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, please visit CNBCEvents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.